Hey, Phil. Hey, Senda. You want to do a grab bag? Um, We're not going to a convention this month. Nope. But we had really busy weeks, both of us, this last week. And we are going to take it easy tonight. Oof, you ain't kidding. Oof, that was a, those were some rough weeks last week. long. Long week. And welcome to another episode of Pandas Talking Games. I'm one of your super busy hosts, Phil. And I am your other super busy host, Senda. Oh my gosh. Uh, and for tonight's topic, we got a cluster of fun questions from Pterodactyl U. And That's my favorite just... dinosaur university. I don't... <laughs> Tyrannosaurus Tech being the second one. Right. So we got a cluster of fun questions from Pterodactyl U, and we thought we would just roll through all of them as a grab bag episode, because they're great. So let's go ahead and just dive right into them. Sure thing. Question one, how do you balance immersion with mechanics so that encountering a mechanic doesn't feel interruptive? Yeah. So we actually did talk about this in episode 163, which probably had an amazing title, but I don't remember it. I'm sure. It did. They're pretty yeah. witty. I'm good at titles. Yeah. <laughs> um, but 163 was our talk about um, immersion and mechanics. And uh, we did. We So we, we went really in depth on um, immersion and stuff there. But because we like to be complete and answer questions here. And because, you know, it was six episodes ago. And I don't know. You may or may not remember. Probably the number one thing that um, will help you when it comes to keeping immersion as you encounter mechanics is mechanical mastery. Yeah. Um, and that's just because the more mastery you have of the actual rules, the more effortless it is to engage them while keeping some level of immersion because you don't have to think about, uh, okay, how does a swim check work? You're just going, cool, I'm swimming as fast as I can for the shore. And then you just roll your D20 and you're like, oh, I got a 15. And you're like, okay, you barely make it, right? Like, you don't have to stop and think about, okay, but how much armor are you wearing? And um, how heavy is the shield that you're carrying, etc. Yeah, I think, um, so mechanical mastery or system mastery, as we often call it, um, is definitely going to be that thing. Because it's just like you said, if I don't have to dedicate a whole chunk of my brain to yes. recall parts of the rules, then I can keep my immersion um, and just like, all right, so there's no way to do this 100%, right? So there's well, no, no way yeah. to be 100% immersed while encountering mechanics, right? But the better you know the mechanics, the less the less percentage you have to give the mechanic part. Yes. Now, that is not just you, the GM. That's the whole table. Yes, it is. So, so the thing is, is that if um, if you really are a group that really treasures immersion, right? Like immersion is your jam. And for me, we'll talk about that in a second because it's not exactly my jam. But if, if immersion is your jam, then you really want to actually study a set of rules, right? Like I often will tell people like be polygamous, play lots of games, you know, that kind of thing. But if you are um, serious about immersion, my advice is find a set of rules and stick with it yeah, and get, get really, really good at good them. At it. Yeah. yeah. 
um, there'll be a payoff, right? So the thing is, when you switch games, like you're never going to have that level of immersion. Yeah. Like I'm Especially, doing that. Yeah. You, you got to play like a couple of sessions before you can even kind of just wrap your brain around how the flow of the go- game itself goes, right? Yep. And you spend I, I'm encountering that right now. That. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. I'm, I'm playing Forbidden Lands yeah. and Forbidden Lands is not immersive. It's fun. Everybody's enjoying it. And like we're having a lot of fun with the rules and the game and everything. But there's still a lot of stuff going on. So yeah. there's like a lot of roles and stuff. And it's it's really it's holding down immersion. Is it really interesting because um, the campaign I'm playing right now is when Rachel's yes, we're playing as a campaign and that game is literally a series of scenes and there are no dice. So it's like about as light on mechanics as you can really get and still have a game. But the really interesting part about that, having said that, is I still don't think it's a super character immersive game because you swap characters around all the time. Like we all play everybody kind of thing. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the other part of that, right? Like, you kind of need to be in a headspace continuously to get yeah. that deeper immersion. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and to go along with um, to go along with what we're saying, uh, to aid in that mechanical mastery, cheat sheets and handouts will yeah. help. Anything that can just free up that part of your brain. Yeah, like if you have to look cycle. up a thing, yep. right? If you have to look up a thing in a book, if you have it as a cheat sheet on the table... It takes less effort to look at a table on, like, look at a table that's on a sheet that's l- sitting, you know, right in front of you than it is to pick up a book and flip through the table, yeah. right? Any Anytime you have to go to the book, yeah, um, your amount of cognitive effort jumped. Yes. Right? Because navigating a book requires a significant cognitive effort to flip through pages and figure out which section you're in and which section do you need to go to. And if you don't know the exact place, then you're like, your brain's like, yeah, it's near that picture of the were tiger, right? Because that's how your brain works, right? So like, you're like, yeah, where's the were tiger picture, right? And at this point now, like immersion's gone. Right. right? Well, and I will even say it's not necessarily just about the cycles that it takes, but it's that it's a different type of like processing cognitive load than being immersed is like yes. it's it's using different brain skills and so like you, you have to divide your cycles between those things and once you start devoting all your cycles to figuring out the rules you have lost all the cycles you were devoting to being immersed yeah uh, the other thing to tack on to exactly what you were saying the yes end to that is when you pick up the book your eyes stop looking at everyone else oh it's true yeah right That's your eyes good. shift to the book and now it is even harder to stay immersed because immersion often is aided by contact with everyone else at the table and you've just broken that contact because you've put your line of sight into a book and yeah. on top of that anyone who looks at you because this is a thing we do as humans right when we look at somebody we actually see what their eyes are looking at Right. Right. So now anyone who also looks at you who's immersed sees your eyes looking down at a book and looks down at the book. Yeah. So everybody yeah. just locks contact with everybody. Yep. So system yeah. mastery is what we're system mastery yeah, is system our takeaway from this. Primary. Learn, primary learn, thing. learn. Yeah. This is one of those rare cases where I will tell you, like, stick to a game and play it over and over. Like, normally I'm just like, no, float on, little butterfly, like, play many games, pollinate many flowers. But in or this just- case play really light games that you can master (laughs) quick well that's the other part right so the less system the faster the mastery but if you are like dedicated to like if you are a pathfinder 2 table 
and you want high immersion, Oof. you like get ready to get your master's in Pathfinder. Right. I mean, that's a. I had my <laughs> master's in in first Pathfinder, so I know. Yeah. I know how much work that takes. Anyway, cool. Cool. Let's uh, let's clip right along to question two, uh-huh. which is when are props helpful and when are they not? Cool. You know what? I have a story about the second one. Why don't you take when props are helpful and I'll oh, take okay. when they go bad. Okay. So props are great when you want to use them to create additional immersion because they add Ooh, a tactile see how it ties up visual. To the other. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah immersion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well done. Thank you. Um, but like because they add another aspect of immersion, right? Because they can be tactile or visual or they might even have scent. Like I know that people will use food and, you know, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely. So you can engage more senses than just like the imagination. Um, you want to show something that either you can't describe well or it's hard to describe. So like you just put it on the table, like cool yeah um, like if you got like some like cthulhu statue looking thing right oh, like yeah putting one of those like you know things on the table is always like everybody always <gasps> you know it's cooler than being like the cyclopean you know non-euclidean whatever whatever like well there's a reason that people buy the gigantic dragon minis right like they're not really yeah. minis anymore because they're like 12 inches tall but like when you have a one inch mini figure and somebody plunks down a 12 inch dragon in full glory like there's an emotion and a, a a reaction that comes with that because you get some more of the um like impressiveness of scale and a lot of that stuff that can be difficult to uh convey just through mm-hmm. words because you have a, a shared focal point in a in a different way anyway cool and then uh one of the other great things that they are good for is when you want to do something metal level like put some kind of clue in the prop for the players to find, which means like you're 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 engaging them in a meta way to hopefully increase immersion in a plot way by making them actually do the thing that their characters are doing or find the clue that their characters are finding. Right? Yeah, like they might find bits of a map. Oh yeah, and then and you have like, to put the map together. I've done that one. Sure, like that's right. a, like and that's a no, meta thing, right? It's that's not classic, about though. Yeah, that's not about characters. That's about no. players, right? right? But or it is classic. Yeah, or like you might have a, you might have like a, a like a um, like a letter or something hidden in a chest or you know something or like a scroll tube or whatever or you know you might get all uh, wild and get one of those I forget what they're called but the things from the Da Vinci Code where like you have to solve the puzzle to open the tube kind oh, yeah. of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So those, those you are get those balls and they put gift cards inside of them. Yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. Get the like gift card out until you like solve the puzzle with the marble. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So very meta level because that's not a um, that's not uh, characters that's not making roles for characters. That's that's yeah. putting it on the humans to solve that. You problem. are engaging the players' actual personal stats, not the character stats. Yeah. Yeah. All right. When props go bad, mm-hmm. um, the number one reason props go bad is when they become a distraction at the table. Yes. Now. A good prop can become a bad prop if after the first few moments you show it, yeah. it becomes a distraction. Yes. So there is an argument for how long a prop should remain out, right? Just because you brought a prop doesn't mean it should be on the table the whole time during the game. Yes. You might want to show it and then take it away. Yeah. And I will give a quick story about that. I was playing in a, um, I was running a campaign of corporation. And uh, one of the players brought an airsoft pistol, unloaded, of course, no ammo, unloaded, brought an airsoft pistol to the game just to kind of like be in character, right? 
And I didn't have a problem with it. The character was pretty good about it. Just kind of put the gun on the table kind of thing. Except that I couldn't leave it alone. I kept picking it up and popping the magazine out and like, like putting it back in and like, you know, pulling it back and like popping it out. Like I, I kept, I kept like messing with the gun, like over and over and over. Right. Like I was injecting it, putting it back in, you know, clicking. And eventually I had to like, I just handed it to him. I was like, here, you have to put this in your bag. Like (laughs) it's not you. It's me. Yeah. Oh, well, I had one more because I had three on here, but I had more. The next one is when the prop is potentially unsafe. Yeah. I had a player, same player, actually, uh, once to show up to a game with a knife. Uh, and I was like, that no. is a very awesome fantasy knife that I think should probably just stay home and not, you know. It not doesn't need to be at the table. We were young. I'm not yes. gonna. That wasn't a recent one. That was like a very. We were very that was young. A long time like, ago. Yeah. Yeah. That was a long, long time ago. Um, the next one is um, if your prop gets in the way of running the game. So like sometimes if you're like, especially if like the Savage Worlds guys, like oh, if you geez. make it, if you make a thing that is so big that no one can fit their character sheets on the table. Right. Then it's it's getting in the way of actually playing. <laughs> right. Like then it's starting to interfere with with the actual play of the game. So that's another point where props are bad. And then the last one is if the prop is either too hard to transport, costs too much, or you're spending more time making props than you are prepping your game. Right. Which which all of those things that's all on you to determine what is quote too much, right? Uh yeah. I mean the transport I mean, one is like look, if you are like if you take a bus, like you know, if you take a bus or a train to get to your game, like you probably can't carry around a full styrofoam like ziggurat. Right. I mean, but if you if you're driving, maybe that's fine, but like if you have to bring it on an airplane, maybe that's different, right? Like you have to make that call based on the situation a little bit. In Absolutely. terms of what's too much. And then there's things like, you know, some people take a lot of joy from making the props, like, as much as they do from actually prepping the game. So, like, if you're still enjoying it, awesome. But if you're, like, sitting there like, oh, God, I have to make this thing, then, like, obviously too much. Or you finish making it and you're like, yes, I made this kick-ass prop and no, I did not prep any of my session. Right. Um, Problem. Then. Right, because props are an enhancement to a session. They're not the session themselves. Yeah, they're not the session. <laughs> yeah, good. Okay. Cool. Cool, cool. And it wouldn't be a grab bag episode if we didn't have a question about bags. I mean, it could be, but but it's pretty cool that we have one. Question number three. <laughs> I think this is kind of pointed towards me, but I kind of feel like you're also able to answer this question now. I feel like I have feels about it now, too. It's yeah, question. Question number three, would you rather have a bag of holding mm-hmm. or a very well-designed conventional bag? Say, now, for example, the peak design. Uh, Just saying. So, so we do need to actually, so we, so we do need to like probably put some things around this, right? So by very well-designed um, conventional bag, I think we'll go with the peak design everyday backpack. I agree. It's on That's my a list. very well-designed bag, right? Very well-designed. I'm totally going to own one someday. Right. It's not like a Jan Sport sack, right? right like no. It's like an actual... All right. So we'll say the Peak Design or possibly a GoRuck GR1 or no, GR2 I want or something like that. Peak okay. Design. It, yeah, we're peak say design, it's Peak though. Design. Yeah. Okay, cool. Now, what wasn't clear in the question was the definition of bag of holding. 
So we're going to answer this two ways. The first one is based in our world, which is we'll answer it literally and refer to it as the bag of holding by from ThinkGeek. Yeah, which is the one that Sneezak has been known to carry around to conventions for a long period of time. There are actually two, I think. There's the original bag of holding, and then there's like yeah. a smaller crossbody bag. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about uh, let's talk about that. Um, would you rather have the Think Geek bag of holding, like the one Sneezak has, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Uh, would you like to have re- the everyday, the Peak Design everyday? Yeah, I don't even bag. have to think about that one because. I've seen what that bag of holding has done to his back, and I have been the idiot who has carried heavy things in crossbody bags. Like, I have a book bag that I was obsessed with as a teenager because it had all these, like, paperback-sized pockets all over it. But you know what happens when you carry, like, ten books in a crossbody bag? Pain. Pain is what happens. Uh, yeah. Pain. So- so I'm with you. I would also take the peak design. Uh, I'll, I, so I'll go on a couple points. So one, you've already highlighted that the um, the Think Geek pain bag of holding is a crossbody bag, but there are a couple things about it that even make it troublesome versus other crossbody bags. So Fair first enough. of all, it is the strap is relatively thin. Right, it's just, and it's, it's not padded. Yeah, it's just a strap, it, it, which it's is just exactly a, like my book bag. Right, it's a webbing strap with yeah. no additional padding, which and it's relatively thin. I would say I would wager to say it's about a half inch. Um, is it really which, that small? Um, half That's inch tiny. wide. It must no, be I'm, at I'm least sorry, an inch. inch. I'm sorry, full inch, inch wide. I was like, it must inch be wide. at least an inch. It, no, it's no, an I'm inch sorry. to an I'm, inch and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyway. What that means is that if you put your full complement of D&D books into that bag and throw it on your shoulder, it means that the entire weight of that bag is being pressed into a one-inch thick band into your shoulder. Yes, ow. Super uncomfortable. I I would say if you wanted to see like a really good crossbody bag, look at like the Timbuktu bags because those tend to be two-inch webbing and they also have a padding that goes with it. Because that's a crossbody bag that's meant to ride on a bike, which means right. it like cinches across your back with like you can cinch it up and tighten it. Right. And then um, it has the little strappy bit that holds that in place better. Oh, yeah. It doesn't you lock flop it. around. Oh, yeah. It has the third. It has the auxiliary strap, which comes yep. around under the other side. Yeah. Okay. The other thing about the um, Think, Be- Think Geek bag of holding, those bags, both of both models of the bag of holding are not weather resistant. Yeah, they're um, just cotton, they're, right? Just they're just cotton, which means like that canvasy stuff. Which means that rain will come right through it. Um, the Peak Design, on the other hand, is a um, highly weather resistant. Um, like this is monsoon level that you can't submerge this bag, but you could get caught out in a serious rainstorm, and nothing inside this bag will get wet. Uh, it has AquaGuard zippers. It has a twice coated resistant shell. And it is like, it is just like, I've been out in the rain with this thing. You bring it inside and the water is beating, beaded on it. And you just take a paper towel and just wipe the outside of it. Gone. Dry. And everything inside, bone dry. Okay. Cool. So that's, so, the, so the, okay. The more interesting version of this question. The more interesting <laughs> version is now we will pit the peak design against the fifth edition bag of holding. Correct. By way of the DMG, the 5th edition bag of holding is adventurous gear. It's a wondrous item in the category of items. Item rarity uncommon weight? 15 15 pounds. 15 pounds. Would you read the description 
Yeah, absolutely. So this bag has an interior space considerably larger than the outside dimensions, roughly two feet in diameter at the mouth and four feet deep. The bag can hold up to 500 pounds, not exceeding a volume of 64 cubic feet. The bag weighs 15 pounds regardless of its contents. Retrieving an item from the bag requires an action. Okay, so the positives are clearly its carrying capacity. Yes. The Peak Design Everyday Backpack is a 20-liter backpack that comes nowhere near... 64 uh, cubic well, feet. I mean, yeah. 20 liter, but when you blow up the, uh, what you call it, when you open up the top, the roll top a bit, uh, you can get that out to about 30 liter. Yeah, um, yeah. So 30 liter is nowhere near the capacity of the um, 64 cubic feet right. that you could fit in the bag of holding. But yes. looking in the DMG, the bag of holding is also a crossbody bag. I know. Why would they do that? Which it weighs means 15 pounds. <laughs> Exactly. Pain. 15 pounds just hanging off one shoulder. Pain. Um, Yeah. To to reiterate, pain. I don't know why they make it weigh 15 pounds. It's a fucking magical bag. Make it weigh like three. A a pound. Right. Yeah. Well, so here's the other interesting thing about it is that it holds a lot of stuff. But what you can tell by the fact that it it requires an action to retrieve an item is that it doesn't have any internal organization, right? You just dumping a bunch of stuff into a 64 cubic foot space. So, so yes, then the peak design with its, um, with its removable and configurable Velcro shelves actually has better internal uh, structuring yeah. than the bag of holding, right. which is just a giant hole in which it takes like six seconds to find any object in it, which yes. granted for 64 cubic feet, finding something in six, six seconds, seconds is not great. a big, yeah, but, but, but it's, but it's a mechanical way to express the fact that like you have to feel around. Right. I, I really think that the problem with this bag is that it's a crossbody bag. If this thing was, if this thing was a backpack yeah. where I could distribute that 15 pounds across my back with a chest strap, that kind of thing, I probably would have picked, I would have picked the bag of holding. But if I'm, if I'm walking through a convention and I've got the D&D bag of holding and I got 15 pounds slung across me diagonally, pulling on one hip, Pain. which it will mess up my, it will mess up the way I walk, Pain. right? 15 pounds. Yeah. I, I'll be messed up by the end of that con. Oh like, yeah. Like it will not be comfortable. I will have, I will have a bruise on my shoulder. I will have um, hurt my back because I'll be compensating for the weight. No, no, no. Give me my everyday. I put it on my back, cinch it, put on my chest strap to hold that thing in place. My arms are free. I can do whatever without the bag flopping around. And if I need it, it's got that really cool system where I can like quickly undo a strap and swing it around in front of me and open it from the side. I know. So it feels like it would be, maybe it's not a free action, but like <laughs> it's a movement action instead of an Yeah, maybe action. I could still, right. Yeah, right. absolutely. So you could like do that and still also attack at the same time. <laughs> no, by the way, no other show, <laughs> no other podcast will you get a breakdown of the bag of holding versus, versus peak design. And, right. Yes. Just, I'm just saying like. If nowhere else will that happen. Well, I mean, I think it just highlights the level of magic that peak design bags are. Uh, yeah, I think really the the takeaway here is that what you really want for six e is for peak design to make the bag of to holding. make the bag of holding. Yes, agree. 
that would be the way to do it. That would be... Although, if Think Geek wanted to get Peak Design to go make a new bag of holding, I would lose my shit. Right. Well, all they really need to do is put, like, the little logo metal thing on the front end, because they're just... It's no, just, but I mean, like, think. It's but, just but, a tag. But, but peak design would. But peak design would be like, okay, we're making an adventurer's bag, right? right? And like, we got to make would, it. There would be like a video, if like expandable in all the ways, so that like it's this tiny little bag, and then you're like, but it holds so much stuff because it expands all the ways. They'd have you like, you know, they'd have a video of you like, you know, people walking out like in the like the rocks, at, like on the beach in Iceland yes. and like, you know, like <laughs> in the jungles in Thailand. <laughs> and yeah. Like, trust me, like you would know it was a bag of holding. Oh, yeah. All right. Anyway, so those are our answers. Thanks again to Pterodactyl U for awesome, awesome questions and for giving us a chance to quickly throw together a grab bag episode to hopefully entertain you this evening. And before we close out the show, Senda's going to tell us about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network. Boy, am I. She's a Super Geek is an actual play RPG highlighting women as GMs. Join me and Andy every other Tuesday for lots of different RPGs and guests from across the internet and the world. Oh, I think something's wrong with that copy. What? Let me try. Oh, She's a Super Geek is an Emmy-nominated actual play <laughs> RPG podcast highlighting fair, women fair as enough. GMs. Join Senda and Andy every other Tuesday for lots of different RPGs and guests. Okay. That that sounds that sounds more that that sounds about right. Okay, I added it to the blurb <laughs> list. I fixed it. Say, Senda, where can people reach us on the internet? I hang on, I lost the notes. Okay. You can find us on Twitter at Pandas Talk Games. You can re- reach us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pandas talk games. You can find us in the misdirected mark forums, forums.misdirectedmark.com or navigate there from misdirectedmark.com. And uh, every episode actually gets its own cool little like post in our category and stuff. So if you want to comment on things, that is another great place to do it. Um, and if you don't like any of those options, you can always drop us an email, panda at misdirectedmark.com. And Phil, once they find us in one of those places or sign up for that cool forum account, because it is the 90s once again, what can they do with that information? Like Pterodactyl you did for us today, leave us some topics. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be long topics. They can be short topics. They can be funny don't worry about it. We'll figure out how to get it into a show and do a um, and make a show out of it. Uh, sometimes we do a grab bag. Sometimes we do a deep dive. You don't know. I don't know. We'll find out each week what happens. But in either case, topics are um, our bread and butter. We really try very hard not to come up with our own topics, but to really talk about the things that you want us to talk about. So uh, you keep sending them. We'll keep doing them. Yep. And... If you like what we do here on the Misdirected Mark Network um, or elsewhere um, on the other shows in the Misdirected Mark Network, you uh, can support our Patreon campaign. You go to patreon.com slash MMP. Patrons get all sorts of awesome things. Uh, access to our Slack room for life. Come play Minecraft with us. Get the bonus outtakes from this show. Uh, the after show for Misdirected Mark. And um, you can get all sorts of goodies from Engine. Uh, engine encoded you know those guys all the things um, those publishing as we companies are, you we are we are um apt to we are apt to send things to our uh, patrons because we love them so much we also like to do shout outs to the patrons uh but in being quick tonight tonight we send our love to all of our patrons yeah thank you so much all of you every single one we phil is doing heart hands 
because yep. he just hearts that much. Mm-hmm. Right. Say, Senda, there's something that you heart that much as well. <laughs> if um, besides supporting the Patreon campaign, what is that thing that you love oh so much? I love it when we get reviews on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice because it makes me feel giddy like a little panda. And also it helps new people find the show, which is fantastic in and of its own right. But, you know, artistic validation is a thing. And if you leave it somewhere that's not the U.S. iTunes store, you should let me know because otherwise they're really hard to find. They're just all over the place, you guys. (laughs) Save us from ourselves. Anyway, Phil, tell me what prop you are going to use next. This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Bloopy. Clicky clicky. Oh, I had a burp immediately after counting in. Oh boy. I didn't drink anything fizzy. Professional. Ooh, this is another one. Don't shake your head at me. Bloop. So, uh, we talked about this before we started recording, that, um, you know, we've been on a 90s kick as we've been preparing Ditch Lily stuff. Uh, so uh-huh. much Ditch Lily uh, music. <laughs> Bloop. So, I, I think we should just tell people this. If you are on Spotify, you should tweet Senda, and well, she'll give you the link to her Ditch Lilies my- mix. My, mine is nowhere near as completed as yours is right now, I think. Uh, I don't know, but still, if you're on Spotify, sure. Send will give you, you a link you to the di- it. to her yeah. Ditch Lilies mix. And if you're on Google Play Music um, and you link and you hit me up on Twitter, I will give you the link to my uh, playlist, which I, I spent like a little time on Friday uh, curating from a whole bunch of bands. And it's still growing because um, people in the chat room, uh, on the Slack room, are giving me um, various ideas and they're like, do you have so-and-so? Do you have so-and-so? And then I'm like, just putting people right. in kind of thing. That's why like my Spotify needs to grow in that way. So I guess the best thing would be for people to listen to it and then tell me who else I'm missing. Right. I, I, I mean, know lots of, I can think of a couple off the top of my head that I know aren't in there yet, but like should just make other people tell me. I mean, <laughs> uh, but we got onto the topic of talking about uh, favorite nineties teen romance movies. Oh yeah, we did. Because <laughs> we have, we each have a different one, and I don't want to give, I don't yes. want to talk about plots or anything because people either have or haven't seen it, and we don't want to spoil anything. Sure. But comparing notes, um, yes. What is what is your favorite one, and kind of just like why, without too much spoiler. Um. So my my favorite one is Ten Things I Hate About You, and uh, why is it my favorite one? I I it's cute and quirky and funny and she's like the odd girl out which i um had a lot of empathetic feels about at that age fair fair right i was like oh that's me and then i was like oh look she's in love and he loves her like i too have a chance at happiness is that uh, is that too vague should i be less vague i don't know i'm i'm just looking at the cover right now you know, 10 Things I Hate About You? 
Yeah, it's yeah. cute. I mean, it's also I, I can also just say this straight up. It's uh, because it's like this is part of the the shtick, right? It is a because in the '90s they kept modernizing Shakespeare. It was a yep. thing that they kept doing, right? There was the Romeo and Juliet and blah 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 blah. But um, so it's uh, it is a completely rewritten, but we stole the plot from Taming of the Shrew, high school yep. romantic comedy. Yes. Yeah. So you got Heath Ledger. Oh yeah, that is. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Heath Ledger, very good, and Julia Stiles. I know, and I was absolutely. It's really funny we're having this conversation because I'm like, I kind of wanted to be her. You can see that. Well, it's that weird, like, do I want to be you, or do I have a crush on you, or do I just want to be your bestest friend? I can't really tell. Bestest friend stalk you forever. Bloop. And yeah. I haven't watched that movie in probably fifteen years now and i have the urge to watch it again yeah Stop yeah there's it. gonna i think there's gonna be i think we're gonna trade we're gonna have, up we should have like a watch party we I should don't. have a misdirected mark watch party right like one one we'll do it over the course of like two months one month we'll watch 10 things i hate about you and the other month we will watch can't hardly wait there you go Bloop. this is uh this is probably my favorite um of the um of the 90s teen um, romance movies. Uh, this is um, uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Ethan Embry. Um, really, though, um, as a minor character, but who steals the um, the day is Seth Green as Kenny Fisher. Um, there's just I, I can't even go on about how like I think this movie would have been pretty good without Seth Green, and then it like rockets up to uh, amazing. Uh, with Seth Green's performance, there isn't a there isn't a movie that I don't like. Seth Green is like bacon, right? Like, like, <laughs> yeah, like I mean, like things are good without bacon, but like when you put bacon on it, it's, it's like better. even better. That's mm-hmm. my feeling about Seth Green. Like, like Buffy was Buffy was good, good, and then there was Seth Green, and, and then you add Seth Green, better. and it was even better. Um, it was Italian, because there was drama. Yeah, well, and he's Oof. also he's just like I don't know. He really brings he's so something sweet and adorable, and also a werewolf. The Italian job, right? Like he in, he's the Napster in the Italian. Oh my God! Tell me you've never seen the Italian job <laughs> as the needle scar- as the needle skips across the record. I just heard it go. What? <laughs> Have you never seen the Italian job? No. Now, when I say that, I'm talking about you mean the, the new one, right? The new one, yes. The, but I mean, I know ne- that there are two. Because Eddie Hazard talks about them. Right, but have you never seen... Whoa. Okay. (laughs) Duly noted. Next time we're at a con, I'm bringing the Italian job. Holy shit. It's one of the greatest heist movies. And it's even better because Seth Green. Okay. Fair enough. We should Excellent. start the show, though. We do, but all right. So, um, so teen nineties um, watch parties. Uh, two in the list. Ten things I hate about you, and can't hardly wait. Yeah, um, I really you, do think we should do this. Yeah. If you, um, if you are familiar with uh, either or both movies, uh, give us a shout out to uh, your feels about either one of those, or tell us your nineties favorite teen movie um, that uh, you love so very much. But in the meantime, we must get on with the show. On with the show. Bloop. Meow. Meow. Bloop. Cue music. Boom, boom. boom. You boom. said boom. that he sent a funny. Do, 
No one else gets the hand gestures, but I appreciate them. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. 37 minutes. I know, we killed with, that one. We crushed it. I know. Good job. For a grab bag, I'm actually okay if we want to uh, end early. I also have to go to um, mm. Southtown's tomorrow for work, so. Yeah, you got to be up early and going strong. I get, yes. So, uh, do we say goodbye? Yeah, we can say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Stop.